0: Well, tonight for the last night, we're going to be in Psalm 96, studied four Psalms, I guess five, because we did two last night, but we've uh, studied a number of Psalms this week. We're ending with a Psalm, but kind of bookending the week, I started on Sunday morning for those who were here with a message from 3rd John on uh, the importance of missions and uh, those who are missionaries, the brothers in Third John. it said that they have gone out, they, they've left home, they've, they've gone to another place for the sake of the name, for the sake of Jesus' name. Uh, we're motivated to worship and we're motivated to witness by a love for the name of Jesus. We want Him to be glorified. Psalm 96 is going back. This is a 3,000-year-old song. And 1,000 years before the coming of Christ. And yet, it is a great missions song, a great missions psalm that talks about God's burden for the nations. Typically, in the Old Testament, God was working with the Jews. uh, But we get hints throughout the Old Testament that He had a plan for the nations. Way back in Genesis, uh, remember that Abraham was told that through his seed, through one of His descendants, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And there's other portions of Scripture like that, that God's plan was bigger than just Israel, but it was universal. It has a plan for all the world, and now we have the blessing of living in the church age, and we've seen all of that come to fulfillment and the beauty and the diversity of Christ's church. I say the diversity of Christ's church. One of the reasons I enjoyed moving to Atlanta um, from Ohio is because the whole world lives there. I kind of had in my mind that I was moving to the, you know, the buckle of the Bible belt um, that, you know, everybody in Atlanta is uh, professing Christian. That is not the case. Um, It's an extremely diverse city, and it has become an extremely liberal city. When when it went blue in the last election, you know, the country might have been surprised. I wasn't surprised. It's you know it's just kind of a it's kind of a New York South or it's moving that way and there might be challenges with that uh challenges that come with that, but there's some real beauty that comes with that. I remember going out uh before Easter last year and inviting people who lived around our church to come and worship with us on Easter sunday and um we stopped at a lot of houses, a lot of people weren't home, but of the fifteen people that we had conversations with, two were Hindus. Uh, There was a Buddhist. There were a couple Muslims. The whole world lives there. Uh, One of the largest Hindu temples. uh, I think the largest Hindu temple um, east of the Mississippi is about 15 minutes from where I pastored. The whole world lives there, and actually, the whole world. There, there are going to be people from all over the world, from every tribe, tongue, kidder, and nation, with us in heaven. Heaven is going to be a beautifully diverse place. And Psalm 96. Kind of celebrates that as I've as I've grown uh, into adulthood, I've come to appreciate the beauty of uh, different cultures, different peoples from all over the world. Uh, I think we tend to have probably a probably kind of an, an American centric worldview, but there is something beautiful about people coming together. We're, you know, we came through the 20th century, and there were so many wars. What a bloody terrible century! And then 21st, we still have all kinds of skirmishes and hatred and terrorism and violence and shootings and, and Russia invading Ukraine. And, you know, there will be no peace until Jesus comes. Come, Lord Jesus, fix this mess. But there is a beauty when people come together. I think uh, this soccer ball is a representative of the World Cup. Uh, I've become a soccer fan. I look forward to the World Cup. It's actually going to be fun to have America participate this time. Uh, maybe not for very long, but will at least be entr- entrance. Um, I love the Olympics, and you know it. It gets more and more politicized, and and the artistry of the opening closing ceremonies. You know, sometimes can can get kind of exhausting, but there is something beautiful about seeing all these people from all these different nations. Some of them rival nations, and they all come together. I chose that picture because you have all kinds of different shades of humanity. Many ethnicities, one race, uh, made in the image of God, united in creation, united in the fall. And then for those who know Christ, we're especially united in the Savior. So God has taken Jew and Gentile. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, he's made one new man in the church. Uh, There's something beautiful about times like that. I love this image. it's not like it's, it's fine art, like, like uh, Michelangelo or Rembrandt or something, but I'm a Norman Rockwell fan. And uh, this is, I think, one of his covers for the Saturday Evening Post. And it quotes, Jesus, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And uh, the world, I guess, tries to live by that mantra. They don't really understand it. I would say, I look at all those people and I'd say, well, what I would want them to do to me is, is share the gospel with me. If they knew the gospel and I didn't know, I, I would want them to share it with me. But there's beauty even in that. All right, don't groan. And uh, some of you will be singing this the rest of the night. But uh, even going to Disney and going through that monotonous, you know, it's a small world. Do you like that? How many many it's a small world fans out there? How many of you, you know, it's, it's, it's painful to you and you avoid it at all costs. What is wrong with you people? How many don't know? You've never been there. All right. We can sing it to you if you would like. It's a small world after all. Celebrating kids from all over the world. Now, I'm actually so interested in this next video that I'm going to take a few minutes from the sermon and present it to you. There was a guy who was advertising gum, um, I think 12 years ago, and he went all over the world filming himself dancing with people. And uh, we're going to call the video, Where is Matt? Uh, It has a little bit longer name and, and not really appropriate name. Uh, not terribly dirty, but not, not appropriate. So where is Matt? And at first, it's just kind of a funny video. Uh, the guy's a really bad dancer, um, but you start seeing him in different countries, different uh, different continents, all kinds of different cities with different kinds of people. There's something beautiful about that. And I'm actually going to use that as a springboard to what is being called for in Psalm 96. So I show this to you because it's just fun. And uh, I enjoy it, but it also shows kind of the beauty of a lot of different people uh, coming together, not around Christ, they're coming together for a silly purpose, but how much more beautiful when they come come together around Christ. So uh, let's watch a little bit of Matt dancing badly with people from all over the world. Uh, You can enjoy this and then we'll dig dig into Psalm 96. All right, you get the idea. I love that video. It's not a Christian video. It's not offensive, it's, but there's something beautiful to me about just having shot after shot after shot of people from all over the world, and they're so different, but they're, they're not that different. They're made in the image of God. They have souls that will live forever, and God desires that people from all over the nations would come to know him as Savior. God has compassion on the nations. You know, sometimes we have the idea that, that, you know, God wears an American flag on his t-shirt. God has a desire for the nations. And frankly, in the missions program, America is the ends of the earth. We were like some of the last ones to get the gospel. God's been working for a long time and he wants the nations to come to him. This world we live in is filled with people who don't know Jesus and they have They have no hope. I remember um, first time I went to Africa, I was traveling in Uganda. We were on a back road. We were in the car a long time, way away from the cities, going into the bush. And I'm passing all of these these huts, you know, and then I'm passing ladies who are carrying something on their head. And then I'm passing a couple of naked kids who are kind of running around playing. And it struck me with, with, uh, with power each of those people will live somewhere forever and you know that that little boy playing in a yard in front of his hut is no less important than i am i'm one of 8 billion people i'm not you know spectacular i'm not more important i'm not more important because of where i was born or be you know because of education or opportunities that little child is as important as me. And somebody needs to go tell them the gospel. We need to have an urgent passion to see the gospel communicated to the lost. The Bible tells uh, tells us that again and again, and we see it beautifully in Psalm 96. Now again, before we read it, let me just give you some things to look for. It will make the sermon easier. This is an example of jubilant praise that we see in many of the Psalms. We've We've seen psalms of lament and of, of penitence or confession. Uh, we've seen some um, um, prayers of uh, imprecation, imprecatory psalms. This one's just—it's happy. It's full of worship and joy, and even a little bit of whimsy. You'll see, uh, but it it mirrors it 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 marries witnessing and worship together. So it's it's going to call us to worship, but in that it's calling us to witness to the lost as well. So it foreshadows the inclusion of Gentiles in God's work, not just Jews. There were a few Gentiles who were uh, saved in the Old Testament, but they would basically have to become Jews. So Ruth the Moabitess would have to convert and and they would have to become part of the nation of Israel. Uh, But the New Testament is going to change that. It also foreshadows the new creation when nature is celebrating rather than groaning. In Romans 8 tonight, we are reminded that all of creation is groaning under the curse. This is going to talk about a time when Jesus returns and creation will celebrate and clap and sing. And, and it's whimsical because trees don't really clap or sing. But there's a sense in which, just let me just plant this nugget and you can think about it later. We are dead in sin and we need to be reborn okay we need to be born again and god is doing something so great that yes he is saving individuals and i think that's the high point of his redemption but he actually is going to save the universe he's going to save the natural world so the world has come under the curse because of our sin and you have cancer and death and you have you know you have all kinds of tornadoes and earthquakes and tragedies Creation is dead in sin. It needs to be reborn. And it will be reborn. Jesus doesn't only have a plan for people. He has a plan for the planets. And He's going to make all things new. And creation will again be under the dominion of God when Jesus, uh, the second Adam, fixes what the first Adam broke. So there's a lot happening in Psalm 96 And uh, I want us to read it together, and and let's pray that God will speak to our hearts and use His Word. Uh, Lord, use Your Word as we consider it tonight. We thank You for it. Thank You for not leaving us in the dark to just figure out life on our own and our own frailty and, and ignorance. Thank You that You've spoken, yes, through creation, but through the Word. And the Word points us to Christ, and tonight we get to open it again. Help me to communicate it with accuracy and clarity. Give us a greater vision, a greater urgency, uh, a desire to become more involved in what you're doing in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to every creature on this planet. Every man and woman and boy and girl needs to hear the gospel. And we can't just sit back and hope it happens. Burden us to be part of what you're doing around the world. And as I said Sunday, I've said a few times this week, Lord of the harvest, you commanded us to pray for laborers. So tonight we're praying for laborers generally, but specifically Lord of the harvest, would you send forth laborers from this camp? Might be kids that are out playing or in classes tonight. Might be teens that are listening and you're, you're going to convict and provoke them. Might be adults who have other plans in life, but you're going to alter their plans to make them be a bigger player in the Great Commission. But Lord of the Harvest, uh, this is beyond my ability, but you please send forth labors and use your word and work by your spirit to do that. Please, we'll give the glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 96, let's read it together, please. Stand with me. It's a call to wake up. Long, hot day. Psalm 96, here we go. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods, you feel like there should be quotes around that, for All the gods, so-called, of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. And he will judge the peoples with equity. Not only the peoples, but he'll fix this broken world. And so verse 11, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This should be a favorite psalm of yours. Not only because of its praise of God, not only because of its call to missions, but because of its hope. Don't we live in a messed up world? do, Do you see a lot of hope in government? Lord Jesus, come and rule in justice and equity. Come, Jesus, fix this mess. This is our hope. What a great song. Let's study together, see what God will teach us tonight. Be seated, please. Again and again, it calls us to worship, to sing, to declare, to ascribe to the Lord glory, to give Him the glory to His name. The first major point I have is simply this. God deserves praise from His people. We call that worship. God deserves praise. We we gather together to sing, and we don't sing because we are so wise or because we're so virtuous. We gather together because God deserves it. And we gather together. Because God deserves it. And there's a sense in which any benefit we get, any enjoyment we get, is kind of secondary. You know, it's like it's a nice byproduct, but worship focuses on God. So we gather to sing and to preach and to study and to fellowship, and it's all focused on the Lord. In this sense, we are honored to sing and speak about the Lord. You know, we, we sing to the Lord, we sing about the Lord, we sing for the Lord. You have here the importance of singing. I love that in verses 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless His name, three times. The most frequent command in the Bible is to sing. More than any other command in Scripture, we're commanded to sing. It's a big deal. So we sing unto God, but beyond that, we are told to declare His glory, uh, to to share it, to proclaim it. And there's a laser-like focus on God. I love this. If, if we were to keep reading in verse 3, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the people. For, okay, that word for, we might translate as because. The Psalms do that all the time. It says to worship the Lord, or sing to the Lord, or or shout to the Lord. And then it says, for He is good, or for He is gracious, or for He is mighty. So it says, we're not only praising Him with some you know, emotion that, that centers in us, but we're praising Him because of who He is. So really, our worship songs, instead of saying primarily, uh, I, I hate being negative when I talk about music, but instead of primarily celebrating, God, here I am, to worship you. Aren't you fortunate? You know, here I am. And actually it should be, God, you're amazing. You are holy and righteous and you are just, and you are merciful and compassionate and forgiving. And our work, our worship should make much of God. When we do that, we, we are reviewing just who God is. It's not like he doesn't know, but we exalt God when we Recall his titles. This would be a good habit for you as you read through the Psalms. Write down different titles of God. You know, just off the top of your head, what are some of the titles of God from the Psalms? Help me. He's a rock. Fortress. Strong tower. He's a shepherd. He's a lifter of my head. He is, and, and you could go on and on and on. So, so you list those. So as you're studying scripture, you're looking for revelation about God. I tell people, if if we were to take the Bible and, you know, put it on a library shelf, where would it fit? Well, it's not fiction, but it's it's not just biography, it's autobiography. It's God telling us his story. So we look for God and we have his titles. Then I say to, uh, and again, I'm a, I'm a word nerd, I'm a grammarian, one of those guys, we look for adjectives, those are attributes. Quickly, some of the attributes of God. He is, we sang tonight, He's holy, holy, holy. He's immutable. He's kind. He's gracious. He's almighty. He, you know, there's so many things and the scriptures are going to rejoice in those. So our worship should be filled with that. Uh, we have His actions, verbs. You know, He heals. He forgives. And you could go on and on. We're focusing on God and who He is. And let me give you one more challenge. Besides making a list through the Psalms, try to pray and not ask for anything. Pray for 10 minutes. Set a timer. Pray for 10 minutes. Don't ask God for anything. Just praise Him for who He is. Lord, I thank you that in this messed up world, we have a God who is all wise. And it seems like the world is chaos, but you are sovereign. You control everything. The heart of the king is in your hand. And I find such comfort. I thank you for that. I thank you that you are mighty. You know, we, we had that teaching um, the other day from Andy when he said that, that God is, is not only mighty. Oh, but he's good. What if, What if he were only mighty and sovereign? Oh, but he's good. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He loves us like a father. He should reject us, but he welcomes us through Christ. And you're praying and you don't have to ask for a list of anything. You just say, God, I'm just here for you. And that that would change your prayer life. Instead of just ask, ask, ask. God, I'll be right back as soon as I need something. That's a very different view of God than I'm just here because you're awesome. And my soul needs this. I need to focus on you. We have great examples of that in this psalm. Find that our worship should be consistent with God's character. I love verse 4. It says, For great is the Lord, and therefore, greatly to be praised. Since He's great, His praise should be great. Since He's holy, we should be holy, and our praise should be holy. And, you know, our our worship is consistent with who He is. Verse 9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We tremble before Him. And again, we won't spend time here, but worship will one day be universal. I don't just mean all people, but all of creation. And you have this this kind of whimsical description. We see it from Isaiah 55. We actually see it when Jesus, remember Jesus, during the uh, triumphal entry, the Pharisees say, tell these people to stop singing. You know, tell the children to stop praising you. And he says, I tell you, if they didn't sing, then what? The very rocks would cry out. That's hyperbole maybe, but All of creation is going to rejoice. The trees of the field will clap their hands, etc. God deserves praise from his people. And that's worship. And there's a lot of that in Psalm 96. Timothy George says, The primary purpose of worship is not evangelism, nor church growth, nor even the edification of believers. All of that can happen though all of these are blessings that accompany true worship. In worship, we respond to God's amazing love and sovereign grace. In worship, we lift our hearts to heaven to praise and adore the triune God of eternity because he is infinitely worthy of such acclaim and simply because he likes it. We were made to worship God. We rebelled against him and then we were saved to worship God. And tonight's message isn't primarily on worship, but it's a big deal. It's what you were made for. You're fulfilling your purpose when you're worshiping God in prayer like I've described or or in singing or even a whole life of worship that the entire trajectory of your life is focused on God and that is worship. God deserves our worship. Second point, however, is this. God doesn't only deserve praise from His people. He deserves praise from all people. And that is where we, we combine with worship and intense desire to witness, Psalm 96 keeps bringing up the world. Not not just the created order, not just the trees and the planet, but it keeps bringing up the nations. So we're singing to the Lord, and now we're singing to others about the Lord. We do it to the lost. Again, we we start at verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Wait, didn't you mean all Israel? No, no, no. All the earth should sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous work among all peoples. So when it says he is great and greatly to be praised, part of that isn't just the way we praise him, but the magnitude, the expanse of his praise isn't just for a handful of people in Iowa. God is so great that he shouldn't just be worshipped by a handful of people in Iowa. He should be worshipped by everyone in the world. So we take part in that when we take the gospel to the nations And people who are rebels against God in his mercy are not only saved, but they're transformed from being enemies of God to being worshipers of God. We take his word to the nations. Verse 10. Say among the nations that the Lord reigns. Tell them. Tell them that in this chaos, their hope isn't, the United States, or their hope isn't their prime minister, or their hope isn't the next election. Their hope is in Jehovah. You think about all the people that are hoping in the wrong things. They're praying to dead idols, and and we actually have a description of that. We have a description of the deadness of idols. Look at verse 5. All the gods of the people are worthless idols. And there's times in Scripture where we talk about these, wor- these worthless idols. And, you know, we have the exclusivity of the gospel. God is the true and saving God. And any other supposed deity is a worthless idol. But whereas there's times when Scripture seems to be mocking idols. I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be. It is mocking idols. You know, you have Elijah mocking the prophets of Baal you know, call him louder, he's asleep, or he's in the bathroom, or, you know, he's very sarcastic. Psalm 115 says, you know, these people make idols, and, and it's so ironic, it's so opposite of the truth. They are carving out eyes, out of wood or out of stone. They are making a God in their image, and they have eyes, but they don't see, and ears, but they don't hear, and You know, Isaiah, what is it, Isaiah 44, there's mockery. Somebody cuts down a tree, he uses part of it to cook, he burns it, and then part of it he's going to carve and and worship it. And how, how do they not see the irony of that? In contrast, rather than making a God in our image that is deaf and dumb, we have been made by God in his image, But this psalm doesn't seem to be kind of jabbing and teasing them. This psalm is actually inviting them. It's appealing to them. We know the one true God. You know, in this passage, it's Jehovah. We get to the New Testament, we get more information, we have a a more specific name, Jesus, Jehovah saves. And we know that Jesus is the only way to God. We know that no one comes unto the Father but by him we know that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. Only Jesus saves. And if we believe that, this psalm says, then we better go to the nations and tell them. How dare we have truth that will deliver people from eternity in the lake of fire? It will deliver them from the dead religion whether they're bowing down to uh, to false idols or whether they're they're arguing for atheism, you know you think even in this room, there's people that represent just every corner of the globe and and all of those people are so lost, and mercy, the people who live around us are so lost, and if we believe that, we don't mock their lostness. we weep for it, and we say. We need to tell them the truth because their gods are dead. Are we snickering? No. We're grieving. Their gods are dead. They need to know Jesus. So we're called to take the gospel to them. Part of that is, I say we're exalting the Lord before the lost. So we're declaring his glory among the nations. But we go a step further. We actually are speaking to the lost and inviting them to the Lord. Come and join us. You know, there, there is a truth and you've missed it and you might have seen the hypocrisy of your religion. And, and I don't care if it's Islam or Hinduism or Catholicism or, or dead Protestantism that, that's all works based. It's dead and the only hope is Jesus. And this is telling us we have to tell them. It's a predictive psalm because the message of God in the Old Testament was primarily come and see. You want to know God? Go to Jerusalem. You want to, you know, Queen of Sheba, you want to hear about God? You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go to the, to the temple and, and you can learn. Ethiopian eunuch, go to Jerusalem. Oh, but then God changed everything. And instead of Naaman having to become a Jew, instead of Ruth having to become a Jew, God changes everything in the New Testament. The New Testament message is not come to Jerusalem to meet God. It speaks to God's people and says, now get out of here, scatter. You go to the nations. Aren't you glad that we don't have to worship God through a building in the Middle East? Aren't you glad we don't have to go to Jerusalem to a temple? Aren't you glad we don't have to go and offer sacrifices? But anywhere we are, and Jesus says that in John 4, you know, There was a time when people would worship God in Jerusalem, not in Sychar like the Samaritans thought, but the time is coming and is now here because Jesus was there when people will worship the Father, not in a place, not in a building, but in spirit and in truth, they'll worship God through Jesus. This is so significant. And again, this is kind of predictive because the Old Testament didn't see the realization of this, but... I debated whether to include this in our notes because there's there's so much other stuff, but it's just so cool. The temple of God, you know, you had the tabernacle under Moses, David prepared, and then Solomon built the temple. Then we get to Acts 2. Have you ever wondered in Acts 2? You know, it seems so random. What is going on with the signs that accompanied the pouring out of the Spirit? I mean, I'm speaking in other languages. That one I get because the gospel is going to go all over the place. Why was there a rushing mighty wind? And why in the world did you have flames of fire hovering over the heads of every Christian? You know, it seems like it would be a fire hazard. You know, what would Osha have to say about flames of fire? What what is that? Why flames of fire? Why a rushing wind? And I think the answer is not only beautiful, but it's missional. In Exodus 40, when they dedicated the tabernacle in the wilderness, God kind of had a housewarming, literally, and you had this rushing wind and a flame of fire. The Shekinah glory of God came and filled that tabernacle, and it would dwell over the... the um. Well, what do you have on top of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. God's glory is there, but they actually saw it a pillar of cloud by day. And what was over the the tabernacle by night? Pillar of fire. Then we have the housewarming of Solomon's temple. The glory of God enters it. It's like a rushing wind. The Shekinah glory is hovering. God lives in his temple. We get to Acts, and we hear a rushing mighty wind comes into the upper room. Tongues of fire hang out over their heads and you think, that is random. No, it's actually awesome. God's not living in a building and he's not showing his presence by hovering one flame over the upper room because God doesn't live in any room. God lives in us. The spirit of God lives in us. We are the temple of God. So if you're a Christian, he lives in you and he lives in you and he lives in you and God was entering his new temple. You know, why is that such a big deal for missions? Because now the temple of God is on the move. People don't come to Jerusalem to meet God. Christians go to the ends of the earth and we represent God and they don't have to leave their hometown. They can hear the truth as God's people take it to them. We are God's temple and we're commanded to go. It's like God's temple was franchised or where it was ready to be exported. It's not random that you have this filling of God's people, a symbolizing of his presence, and then the whole book of Acts is saying, now scatter and take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Missions is so amazing. What a privilege we have to participate This would be a whole other sermon. I won't preach it, but God commands us to go. We have the great commissions. I underline the S. You know, we're familiar with Matthew. Matthew tells us about divine power, that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Christ, and he commands us to go. We have a universal audience. Go make disciples of all nations. The goal is discipleship. We're making disciples, not just collecting decisions, not doing drive-by evangelism, but we're discipling people. We want to see them know Christ, grow in maturity, to to be baptized, to obey all things He's commanded. That that means there's going to to be churches that are planted. We're promised that He'll be with us to the end of the earth. Mark 16, 15 is a little simpler. Just go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All the world and every creature. I mean, He's got it covered. Go preach the gospel. It's proclamation everywhere. Luke 24 and Acts 1. Luke 24 is probably underappreciated, but Acts tells us that we'll receive power from the Holy Spirit. I put them together because both of them are written by Luke. So where, where Luke ends, then you have a sequel, to the book of Acts, and he picks up where he left off. You have divine power, a universal witness. We're to be witnesses to him to the ends of the earth. And we're actually preaching Christ and calling people to repentance. Luke 24 actually says that repentance should be preached in his name among all nations. And then, John, you have a couple passages where Jesus says, As the the Father sent me, I am sending you. He prays that in in John 17. He tells the disciples that in John uh, 20, and he breathes on them, symbolizing the coming of the Spirit. But that's remarkable. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. First John 4 tells us. We're not sent to be the Savior of the world, but we are sent to tell the world of the Savior. Aren't you glad that Jesus fulfilled his commission? Aren't you glad he accomplished what he was sent to do? And he says, in the same way that the Father sent me, I am sending you. Go! Get busy. How dare we neglect Our responsibility. My family's been attending a church, a church plant in Atlanta. And when they end the service, instead of saying, you are dismissed, every week they say, you are sent. There's a sense in which the church gathers for worship, it gathers for instruction, but it scatters to evangelize to every neighborhood, to every school, to every workplace. We go to make disciples, but then some of us were actually supposed to go further. Not just your hometown, not just Iowa. You're you're supposed to go even further. And God would have you sent to the end of the earth. I've made no uh, apology for praying that some in this room in a couple of years will be maybe visiting camp on furlough because... God has sent you to the nations. I've been so encouraged meeting retired missionaries here or talking to people whose children are on the mission field tonight. They're not, they're not with you. And I, I know, I know it, it stings. I know there's an empty place at the table, but they have answered the call of God. They've obeyed the command of God. They've gone out for the sake of Jesus' name. And it's so worth it. And we need more. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we pray, Lord of the harvest, this is a problem too big for us, but Lord of the harvest, we pray, send forth laborers. I'm praying that God is working in our hearts tonight, even tonight, to change some life directions and burden people for the sake of his name among the nations. I was in college. President of the university at the time was Bob Jones III. And he would kind of drill us. He would stand up in chapel and he would say a sentence. He would start it and then we would finish it. He would say, the most sobering reality in the world today is that, and then he'd stop, and the whole student body, 5,000 people would answer and say, people are dying and going to hell today. The most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. Since we've been gathered tonight for chapel, you know, countless number of people, I, I don't have the statistics, but, but people are dying and going to a Christless eternity with, with alarming rapidity. You know, there's a song that says, untold millions are still untold. I try to respect songs and not rewrite them. Untold billions are still untold. David Platt has been a champion of world evangelization in our lifetime. And he talks to the church, he says, Jesus commanded us to take the gospel to a lost world and there is no plan B. There's no plan B. You know, he he could have gotten his work done by sending Gabriel and Michael and a bunch of angels, but he determined that he's going to get the gospel out by people who have been saved and then become messengers of salvation. Second Corinthians 5 says that we've been reconciled and then we become ministers of reconciliation, taking the message of reconciliation. It's the church's job. And if we drop the ball, there is no Plan B. Again, as we started the week, 3 John 7 praises God for heroes who go out for the sake of Jesus' name. They go for the sake of Jesus' name. I'm going to end tonight um, introducing you to another hymn, and um, Tim is going to come and accompany me. I was asked... I guess 12 years ago or something, to write a hymn for a mission conference called Missions Mandate. A group of college students met at Inner City Baptist Church in Detroit, and um, the focus of it was that, that we go out for the sake of the name, and um, my, my usual partner in hymn writing is Greg Hobberger. We wrote a hymn. It's a call to missions, and there's compassion on lost people, but there's especially a desire for the glory of God, like we talked about from 3rd John, like we talked about from Psalm 96. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this hymn, For the Sake of His Name. I warn you, it's, it's long. It's way too long. Um, but it has a lot of truth that I hope the Lord will use to kind of write all of, all of the things we've been discussing tonight. Just, just peg it to our memories using tune and, and rhyme and meter. We're called to go for the sake of the name. I'll sing the first verse in chorus, and then we'll all stand and I'll learn it, sing it
1: together if you've not heard it before. Go to the world for the sake of his name. To every nation his glory proclaim. Pray that the spirit wise would open darkened eyes. Granting new life to display Jesus' fame. In Jesus' power, preach Christ to the lost. For Jesus' glory, count all else but loss. Gather from every place trophies of sovereign grace. Lest life be wasted, exalt Jesus' cross clearly need your help.
0: Stand and uh, sing louder than me, please.
1: Go to the world for the sake of His name to every laws gather from every place trophies of sovereign grace lest life be wasted exalt Jesus cross love the unloved for the sake of his name like Christ befriend those whose heads hang in shame Jesus did not condemn but was condemned for them trust gospel power for we once were the same in Jesus power preach Christ third verse and then the fourth verse and then
0: we'll end with the chorus okay on the third if I can get there
1: all right rescue the lost rescue the lost for the sake of his name as Christ commands snatch them out of the flame tell that when Jesus died God's wrath was satisfied Urged them to flee To the Lamb who was slain Look to the throne For the sake of His name Think of the throne Who will share in His reign Some for whose souls we pray Will share our joy that day joining our song for the sake of his name in Jesus power preach Christ to the lost for Jesus glory count all else but lost gather from every place, trophies of sovereign grace. Lest life be wasted exalt, Jesus Christ. give you a couple
0: things to leave and consider as you go on with the rest of the night. Evangelism and missions aren't for commando Christians. Get that out of your head. God uses normal people. Let's be honest. God uses below average people like us to get his work done. Every Christian must be a witness. The only joyful, jubilant, adventuresome, meaningful life is one that is sold out to God for both worship and witness. You want a life that is meaningful? It's not going to be in chasing your dreams. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to actually catch your dreams and be woefully disappointed. We live for the sake of Christ. And God wants to use you, you, for his glory, where you live, but maybe not where you live. Pray about it. All right, I would love to talk to you about it. I, I would urge you from, from last night, from all the teaching on com- contentment and from tonight's message, find some time where you can just pray and, and deal with the Lord and say, God, what what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? And he'll answer. He's, he's big. He's got this all figured out. Lord, use us for your glory. We confess you're not getting much, but you have us. And Would you use us for your glory and even among the nations to bring people to Christ? Uh, Use your word tonight, apply it as you will, far beyond anything I could do. Do beyond what I could ask or think, what I could even imagine. You do it for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.